0: good morning happy sabbath let's begin with prayer eternal heavenly father we pause in our day uh, as an acknowledgement for you as creator and redeemer and i want to thank you for this opportunity to meet thank you for the opportunity to teach and to learn um we ask for your continued watch care and guidance and edge of protection over this class as individuals and and uh, corporately as well Uh, Guide us to be the voice of Elijah, uh, preparing the way for the come, your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Tim and Christy are taking some much-needed R&R. We're doing lesson number 13 in the quarterly, the last uh, lesson of the year. Uh, and it's entitled Leaders in Israel. Got me thinking. Are we... Um, We have some contemporary issues with leadership, national leaders, church leaders, family leaders. And uh, I started processing, okay, well, what makes a good leader? And I've got, I don't know, maybe a dozen, 12, 13 things that I came up with. But I want some participation. That's how I run things. So um, shout them out. What, what, what in your mind makes, uh, what are some qualities that make a good leader? In fact, interesting, if you, go in, if you go to the search engine and type in qualities, the word qualities, the first suggestion that comes up is qualities of a leader. So apparently, I wasn't the only one searching for this. Apparently, it's a fairly common search, qualities of a leader.
1: For sure, they need to be a good listener.
0: Okay.
2: A good model Leader kind of followers.
0: Alright, well those are both those are two that I didn't have. So listeners and followers.
2: Dedicated to the Lord. for a fifth kind of service.
0: De- dedicated to the Lord.
2: Inspiring.
0: Inspiring. Okay, got got that one. Honest. Got that one. Humble. Okay.
1: One that's not afraid to
3: work.
0: Alright. No. Hardworking.
1: Dependable.
0: Dependability.
1: Thick-skinned.
0: <laughs> Good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, able to, that was one of, one of the ones I had, able to not only accept criticism, but to deliver it. Right. Okay, a leader has to deliver some criticism and has to take some criticism. Okay, trust me, I get all kind of, when I teach I get lots of emails <laughs> criticizing everything from what I wear to sniffling if I have allergies to yep. tone of my voice to a political attitude, whatever. Okay? I laugh at them and ignore them. So send your emails to Francesca. <laughs> yes sir.
3: To be able to handle two opposing views. All right. It's almost to be able to have a mindset of transformation where you can take, you have an agenda, but you're able to look at other information for <coughs> form and formability.
0: That's an inevitability. Not, not everyone's going to have the same opinion as you. Not everyone is going to want to take the same pathway as you or even to the same destination.
2: To delegate.
0: The ability to delegate, yes.
1: Studious, somebody willing to take the time to research and... Find out the facts.
2: Okay. Smart enough to study and bring it to the group and a good speaker.
1: It's smart enough to know what they don't know. Yeah. Or that they can't know everything.
2: And I like your loud voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll get some complaints about that, too. Here's my list. It's is by no means inclusive. Honesty and integrity, and these are not listed in, in order of importance. And hand-in-hand hand with honesty and integrity goes accountability. You have, to, you have to own it. We talked about that last week when Tim was here. If you make a mistake, you need to own it. Confidence. Okay, do we want our leaders to be confident, or do we want them to be wishy-washy? The ability to inspire others. Commitment and passion. And we're going to talk. We're going to dissect that one a little later in Wednesday or Thursday's uh, lesson. They need to possess good communication. They need to have good decision-making capabilities. Okay, how many of us want an indecisive leader? What, no hands. Come on, What's the matter, you people. They need to be able to delegate and empower the delegates. They need creativity and innovation, resilience, perseverance, transparency. They have to have vision and purpose, and they need to possess empathy. Okay? Now, have any of these, do these qualities that were mentioned here and, and the ones I just listed, does it matter what type of funct- what, what type of setting a person is leading in? Are these qualities transcendent to all leadership? Okay, they'd be employed at different times and in, in different uh, situations. Um, does it matter what sort of law uh, those uh, those qualities are functioning under? Absolutely. Yeah, Okay, we have two competing laws. I, you know, we, we talk a lot about design law in here. Natural law, design law, the laws that govern the way life operates. But understand that we here on earth are, are also functioning under a different law. What's that law? It's described in scripture. It's outlined, it's named. It's the law of sin and death, which is contrary to design law. It's still governing Earth. Okay, It's not how Earth was designed, but it's the current reality. So given those two antithetical laws, does that change anything about the leadership uh, characteristics and qualities that were listed?
1: I don't know if it changes it, but it certainly makes a difference Mm -hmm. how the leader, what law lens they're looking through. But they still should have the characteristics. I think it does. I'm not sure that somebody that has all of those qualities could exist or lead under, say, a communist regime or a dictatorship. It would eliminate
0: any of those qualities. Would would Christ be a good political leader here on earth? No. No, he wouldn't. Not at all. He would be seen as weak. He was. He was seen as weak. He was killed for it. So, but, and yet, you go down this list. Was he honest? Yes. Did he have integrity? Yes. Was he accountable? Yes. Confident? Yes. Did he have the ability to inspire others? Was he empathetic? Yes, yes. Was he resilient? Oh, my goodness, was he resilient? Did he persevere? Yeah. Did he have vision, purpose? Yeah. So, I, I agree with my sister, with Lori, absolutely. Uh, there, are, there, are some, some quali- there are some qualities of leadership that only function well under the law of sin and death.
4: You said he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So, that sounds like confidence to me.
0: Oh, absolutely. But, my, my my question was: Would he would Christ function well as a political leader here on Earth?
2: Did anybody mention servant?
0: No, not yet. Okay. So the humility was mentioned, but but a servant or to have the uh, the attitude of a servant, oh, it hadn't been mentioned yet. And certainly, he had that attitude. Would a leader of a nation function well, behaving like a servant?
2: Not here
0: on this earth, no. Not functioning under the law of sin and death. Okay, so we need to understand, as we go through the rest of this lesson, that some of the things that the lesson brings out about qualities of leadership, or that I may bring out about qualities of leadership, are to be understood as dealing with how reality is currently working. Not necessarily how life was designed to work. From Sabbath's lesson. Central to the story of these leaders is the word of God. He's talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. The word transformed their thinking and life and resulted in the whole program for revival and reformation. They were totally indebted to God's word and his instruction they found in it. In the same way, no matter who we are and whatever our role is, we must keep the word of God central to how we live as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. How uh, how much of God's word did Ezra and Nehemiah have? Any ideas?
1: They had the Torah. The first
0: okay. The- Generally understood they had the Torah, which was... The books Moses wrote. First five books.
2: They would have had letters from Jeremiah. Because he was writing to the people in Babylon while they were there. He stayed back. So I think they had letters from Jeremiah.
0: Okay, that's I mean, certainly possible. I I, I I, actually don't know. Daniel talks about reading Jeremiah. Okay. So
4: Also, he, he should have had Kings, Chronicles, Samuel...
0: They may have had access to that. They may not have. I, I, I honestly don't know. The paper, when you believe they were written. Yes. Was that the only? Was that all of God's word they had? They had nature. Thank you. They had creation. They had. They had a an understanding of how nature functions.
1: And they had the sanctuary ceremonial practices which is an insight into
0: well they had 70 years of not doing that so right. i imagine some of that got forgotten but
1: or diluted but they had yes
2: the stories yeah, we don't have Enoch. look at just here certainly possible
0: look at Jubilees. so yeah uh, why is it we automatically consider the the bible the 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 old and new testament is as, as that's our first thought when we think about god's word that, that, those were his second and third books okay the first book was creation romans 120 things about the god that can be understood so the men are without excuse based on what's been made et cetera, et cetera. um how did god communicate with uh, ezra and, and nehemiah they
4: listened to the word in prayer
0: Okay. Well, was there any direct communication, perhaps, or communication through vision? I mean, they, they don't specifically mention it, but we don't know. Did God communicate differently with uh, Old Testament prophets than He does now? Many of them certainly. How are these leaders? How are they expected to deal with the, with the light that they were given? Were they Were they expected to advance in greater light? Or were they supposed to marry themselves to positions from 150 years ago or 500 years previous? They were to use their intellect. They were to come and reason.
1: And they were each, it seems like, appointed or relevant at a certain time because of whatever a current situation was. So obviously they had to keep current.
0: Consider some of those questions as we we move along. So Sunday's lesson, the influence of... uh, Yes, sir, Wendell.
4: I think it's also important to realize that we have often stories in in the Bible that are recorded for our our interest, for our education, for our influence. But we have very few times whenever (laughs) it says, and God said it was good. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay? That's true.
4: So many of these people acted, had stories, interacted with their environments or whatever, and we don't have God's comment on their actions. When um, when certain decisions were made to break up families and send the women and children home and everything, we don't have God saying, yes, that was good. Okay? Whenever, whenever um, uh, Samuel hewed... Agag, wasn't it, to, to pieces or whatever? Um, God didn't say, Agag, you hewed
0: well. Samuel, you, you hewed well. S- way, way, way to wield the sword, Samuel. Yeah, right. Lots of and, pieces.
4: And so we have to interpret these stories and whatnot through our understanding of where God is and what he was leading them to do and whatnot. But we don't have God's statement saying, this is all good. He That's didn't say true. that except when the, he, he created man.
0: Yeah, the six days of creation, God saw that it was good. And then, a thousand years later, it grieved him. So, uh, the examples of leadership. First one, they, uh, the lesson talks about is Rehoboam. This is one of Solomon's many sons. So, what's what's characterized in the story of Rehoboam? Let's just review. He was selected to secede Solomon on the throne. And the other tribes of Israel sent emissaries and said, "You know, let us make an accord." And Rehoboam consulted some of the elder leaders, and the elder leaders said, "What? Losing their load? Their load. Yeah, he said, lighten their load. Your your father uh, put ex- ex- extortionary taxes on them. Lighten their load, and they will they will be loyal to death. Well." Rehoboam didn't like that advice, so he consulted some of the men his own age, some of the young men. And what they tell him? So, well, what could go wrong with listening to those with little or no life experience? <laughs> <laughs> Rhetorical. Okay, in the U.S., there are certain groups who would have us develop a policy contrary to our Constitution because high school students want it that way. <laughs> I'm talking about the March for Our Lives. These are the high school students that they're agitating since the Parkland High School shooting. Okay? They would have us do away with Second Amendment of the Constitution, because they're agitated. Okay. I've included some links from CNN. New York Times, The Guardian. Does it make sense to follow the whims of 15- and 16-year-olds to develop a national policy? I'm not here advocating for or against the use of weapons or the carrying of weapons to each his own. Is it any wonder that certain political groups want to lower the voting age to 16? Time Magazine just named a 16-year-old girl, Scandinavian, as person of the year for her role in contributing to the coming ice age. No, wait, it's the global warming. No, it's abrupt climate change. No, it's just plain climate change. She's beyond reproach. We can't criticize her because she's autistic. We must listen to her then. What happens to a, to a family, or to a school, or a community, or a government, or an, ent- an entire culture that abandons reasons and devalues the wisdom of its elders and makes decisions based on the emotional whims of children?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Again, rhetorical. All right, the second leader they mention is Peter. In the example they give from Acts 15, Peter was the voice of reason. And he was a peacekeeper when the Jews were angry at Paul and Barnabas for taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Excellent leader. However, not long after that, he completely misled the group by his example of not eating with the Gentiles, and he had to be called out by Paul. Okay? Leaders are fallible, even good leaders. Third one, King Josiah. Okay? Josiah led by example in an effort to stem the tide of depravity caused by King Manasseh. Scripture says of him, Now now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. 2 Kings 23, verse 25. Was it enough? It was not enough. Judah was still taken into captivity because they did not allow the Holy Spirit to heal them. Heal them. They still cling to their idolatry under the law of sin and death. Bad leadership can trump good leadership. Sounds like we've got a uh, martial arts class going on next door. Any thoughts on Josiah? And the fact that uh, the, com- the antagonism, the, the 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 back and forth between his good example and Manasseh's depraved example.
2: Wasn't your sire real young?
0: He was young when he started. Was he seven?
4: Yeah, during his reign, he did, he made some p- very poor choices as far as who he allied his army with and what he went out to do and so you know we all make mistakes in that you
0: know? uh, yeah I'm um, certainly i mean he was killed in battle uh, not long after the, these words were recorded deborah from judges four verses one through sixteen okay why was a woman called to judge israel judges says that deborah judged israel Why was a woman called to shepherd the Seventh-day Adventist Church in its infancy?
2: Because they listened.
0: <laughs> because because women listen?
2: Evidently those did. <laughs> they listened to God.
0: <laughs> they were ordained even. Someone look up J- Judges 4 and read verse 8.
4: Then Mary replied, I will go if you go with me. But if you don't go with me, I won't go
0: either. Okay, for some context, Barak was the leader of the army, and he'd been called to battle, and he was petrified. He wouldn't go without Deborah with him. Okay, this tells you virtually everything you need to know. (laughs) At that time, the men of Israel were low-T soy boys.
4: I have a little sympathy with that army. They didn't have the technology. It'd be like me in a small third-world country saying I'm going to go up against the United States. You know, they had the chariots, they had the horses, they had everything else, and they had the men. And I would be hesitant to go up against them unless I had something that was divinely stating, say, hey, listen, you go up and you'll win. You know, that I believed was divine. You know.
0: So you think that the the men needed some sort of a talisman, some sort of a tacit approval.
4: At least the acknowledgement from God saying, hey, I'm with you. You, you, you know, you, you see people
0: of courage like David who said, you know,
4: he's against our God. We, you know, how could you let
0: us have this happen? Well, I'm a little more judgmental of Barack. <laughs> how many of you know the history of why how Ellen White became the, the, the spiritual leader of the church? Yeah. Two men were asked first, a white man and a black man. They both were unwilling to take that role in leadership. And God will not use his power to force anyone, man or woman, to do his service. It's not not in his character. The coercion only has a place in Satan's government. He wants a service given from free choice. And he will empower and equip either man or woman to do, his, to do his will, if they are willing to work with him. The plumbing doesn't matter. Okay? This, this ordination of women is a red herring. It's a, it's a means to distract and a means to incite controversy.
2: And division.
0: And division. Thank you. We should not be selecting our leaders based on their sex. And we should not be refusing them leadership based on their sex. We should be selecting leaders based on their quality to lead. Yes. Their ability to lead and their willingness to lead. Their connection to God. Yes. Yes, and their connection to the Holy Spirit. As evidence for my contention that Barack was a low-T soy boy, Later on, in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, God is diagnosing Israel's problem. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Okay, God is talking generally to Israel. He's specifically calling out the men of Israel. Any practical contemporary applications?
3: Ooh, back to a comment, how, how can you tell if somebody's connected to the Holy Spirit?
0: Oh, that's a good question. It's an excellent question. But, because we can't read hearts and minds.
3: No, I think we have to be careful with that because then that's my opinion if I think you are connected to the Holy Spirit and somebody else. It's just, I, it's just to me, that's... It, it,
0: it can it can be a minefield, but we are also called to be discerning. But I
3: know, but I mean, I, the discernment is, is based upon the, the genuineness and... How they present and show up every day, right?
0: Yeah, and understanding that we can be fooled,
3: and, and understanding that we have a mindset and a mental model of what that should look like does not mean what it is. And I mean, that's the controversy that we have with all the different churches and all the divisions within the churches of what we should, be, what, what we think it should be like.
0: Wendell, if
4: you go back to um, the statements of Paul and selecting a leader. He lists the qualities that he would use as qualifiers for selecting a leader. Um, essentially, it's, it's to some degree, being a fruit inspector, but um, to see what's happened in their life.
0: Specifically, what are you referring to? Being the wife of but one husband, or the husband of but one wife? And...
4: His children were, were following the religious way after him, that he was a good leader in this home. Okay, He had, you know good financial um, decisions or whatever and so there were several qualifications given.
0: And permitting no woman to teach him?
3: one <laughs> <laughs> thing is, is that when, we, when somebody has showed up and they are perfect you know you see completely no wrong and they're not admitting their own um, frailness and you know that they could, that the humbleness within them that, to me, is a red flag.
0: Well, okay, yes, it is. But we all understand that we now also have a template of what, what the design law leadership should look like.
3: Yeah, no, Don't I'm, we? I'm with you, but I mean, we, we look at, like, yes, last week we said perfection equals performance. And if we're so focused in on that performance, we can make ourselves look excellent.
0: That's right. And I, I, I don't, don't think i don't think so. we it's
3: just like trying to uh, no, no, that that, Hey, you're connected to the holy spirit and somebody else isn't
0: and, uh, this is right okay, can... yeah, okay well i appreciate you bringing this out because this is not this is not what i'm advocating The the idea that we have um, we have endless discernment and that anyone's judgment about whether or not someone else is connected to the holy spirit is better than than mine or i'm better than anybody else's that's not what i want to convey I, from what I remember last week, the idea of perfection was maturity of character. It wasn't performance.
3: No, that's what he was arguing, that we tend to put perfection
0: equals performance. Oh, okay, yes. So I'm
3: yes. trying to say that you know, I'm supporting that thing, and I think what happens is, is when, we be, when we make the leader what it's all about, it's the collective sum and it's the intelligence of the sum that really helps us to put all of us, we all have accountability both ways. And sometimes we put the leadership as the accountability on us instead of us putting it back on them. And so like I don't want to be a Tim Jenny Knight, you know what I'm saying? I don't and we do that or, or uh, uh, we follow after different people and different, I want us to be able to have i 've got to have my own thinking and challenge each
0: other oh absolutely no question and that 's how that 's how the Adventist Church was originally designed and that 's how the Christian church was originally designed. It was to be a bottom up light was to be developed from the membership and over and prayer and fasting and um hashing things out with with your contemporaries and then the truth was to be work its way up through the ranks it was not designed to be a top-down institution where we have presidents and paid entertainers delivering um pretty little speeches to 2,000 people on it every weekend.
3: Or they're going to dictate to me what that scripture means, and this is what I have to follow after. And, and sometimes we'll place that intimidation, and we'll put it on the leader, and we'll say, well, the leader says, this is the most dangerous thing. Well, Tim Jennings said. Absolutely. Or well, we, you know, and so I... this yeah, if, uh, it's very I, implicit and it's very subtle how we can start forming our thinking and allow somebody else to
0: think for us. That's, that is correct. It is. It's a, it's a slippery slope, and I should have opened with this, but I don't want any of you to believe what I'm telling you up here. Do do not believe it just because I'm standing here telling you this. Do your own research. Be convinced in your own mind. Tim will tell you the same thing. We're we're not here. Our ministry has a core tenet of not. Telling people what to think, we want to develop skills to teach people how to think, to be able to discern for themselves and be convinced in their own mind.
2: Well, I've had the same thoughts he has. Tim tells us, don't you think for yourself, don't take what I say.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I echo those sentiments. Rachel.
1: So when we talk about independent thinking, we're not talking about me in my little corner coming up with stuff. It's about us together sharing ideas, working things through, challenging and debating with one another. That's what creates the really good independent thinking.
0: Yes. Okay. I'm okay okay with that definition.
1: And then you tell me, well, but this part of it's wrong and we correct one another. That's where we come up with really good stuff.
0: That's right. Because just like in Eden, Man and woman, Adam and Eve, coming together to, to create one, the, the sum, the synergy created was to be more than the sum of the parts. And that's the same way that the body of Christ, uh, the church, should function. Because we're not all gifted with the same spiritual gifts. Some are gifted with the gift of generosity. Some are gifted with the gift of leadership. Some are gifted with the gift of discernment and, and pastoring and teaching and administration. And a, a dozen other ones I don't remember.
3: I guess my point about a good leader, I'm sorry, is that a good leader to me after all of this is somebody that welcomes and expects to be challenged. And if they don't,
2: then that would be concerning to me. Yes, sir. back to the defense of Barack. Maybe he wasn't confident enough in himself, but he trusted <laughs> Deborah enough in Yahweh and trusted her character
0: to follow her. Possible. She even told him, go. Otherwise, a woman will have the, the honor of killing so-and-so. He's okay with that. <laughs> And to the husband of the guy, of the woman who nailed that guy to the, to the ground with a tent stake, sleep with one eye open. Good grief. Ruthless. Okay, speaking of low-tea soy boys, let's move to Ahab. This clown let his wife murder a, a man by proxy so he could have a vineyard. And that was just the icing on the cake. Any thoughts on Ahab? And his leadership? Okay, he goes in the category of Manasseh. His oh no, he was leading, he was leading 180 degrees in the opposite direction of where things should have been going, but he was leading, make no mistake, he was leading.
1: But he was leading with temper tantrums, and throwing fits, and like a child. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to get mad, and, and and whatever, that's not much of a leader
0: well okay but israel was being led yeah he was being led or he was leading he was also being led he's being led by a satanic wife and israel was following
4: it's interesting that um, god told elijah that he had thousands of people who had not bowed to the heathen god they weren't standing up and revolting but they were living their lives in devotion to god in spite of and it's ah. interesting it wasn't very evident to elijah that these people were out there that's right
0: and even after a caramel let this breathe a little bit even after the display on mount carmel and we don't need to recount that because it's it's been a children's story for a long time. Even Elijah still thought that God's calling card was a display of power, and he couldn't he couldn't reconcile that Israel just didn't rise up in revolt and and automatically a, a giant reformation occur. And when he found out after, after that display of power, when he found out that Jezebel was hunting him. He became afraid and and ran to the desert. Some authors suggest that he ran to the exact same spot where God revealed Himself to Moses, Mount Horeb. Lack of sleep and fatigue will do a lot for you. <laughs> yes, it will. And God revealed Himself not in the fire, not in the tornado, not in the earthquake, in the still small voice. He said, why are, you, why are you here? I have me uh, 7,000. So even Elijah had some things to learn about, about the God that, um, that he worshipped. And, the, and the, one of the primary things was the power is not top of the list. Rachel.
1: Well, it's very interesting because the last time we were reading this, my husband and I in First Kings, it struck me that got, Elijah got a second chance. So this happened again when a king threatened his life. And what did he do the next time? He called fire down from heaven to consume the captain and his 50. He didn't run. So I don't know how you're going to
0: fit that
4: in your scheme.
0: (laughs) I don't know that I can um, or, or that I will. Understand that fire from heaven is not necessarily indicative of God's will. When Christ was on Earth, two of His disciples asked, "Shall we call fire down from heaven on the Samaritans?" And He He chast He chided them, said, "You don't know what spirit is driving you." And spiritual prophecy, scriptural prophecy tells us that in the end, the 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 power calling fire down from heaven will not be the heavenly one. So fire from heaven, while while it uh, it may have intervened in the path of Israel to, to wake them up in a level one moral development, fire from heaven is not necessarily evidence that the fire is heavenly.
4: It was to a people, though. I mean, what happened with the fire from heaven with Elijah? It was up on top of a mountain where everyone could see for the, all the valleys. Mm-hmm. You know, God didn't come to the Israelites in a still, small voice You know, to make his point. And to spread his word, he used things that the people would listen to.
0: Yeah, and, and it's evidence that the, the rank and file members of the children of Israel were on a different, different moral development level than Elijah was. But even Elijah, who was translated without seeing death in a chariot of that same fire, still had misconceptions about God and his use of power. Gives us some hope. Yes it does. Thank you. That's exactly right. Monday's lesson, Evil in the Sight of the Lord. Uh, three passages included the in the in the lesson outline in the in the, in the lesson include the include or kind of outline what happens when we quote follow in the sins of of the fathers. Um let's see what examples they give us. reference first kings 15 second kings 13 and john 11 Um, i was reminded of exodus 20 verses 4 through 6 talking about the sins of the fathers you shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or is in the water underneath the earth you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Why do you think these admonitions um, are in the second commandment? Why not the first commandment? And why and why are they in the the one admonishing? Uh, against the uh, practice of idolatry, idolatry and its governing law, the law of worship. Okay, We now understand that there is a connection between choices and gene expression. The study of that is called epigenetics. These are the coding that sits above the gene, telling the gene how... How to be expressed and do not quiz me on epigenetics. I'm I'm parroting what I've heard from many of Tim's talks. He's forgotten more about epigenetics than I'll ever know. So however, I accept it as science and I accept the I accept the understanding that the choices we make have a difference in how our genes will be expressed. And those genes passed on through time may be expressed differently than they are within us. So there's both a hereditary and a cultural cause for the generation of kings throughout Israel's history. Choices made by Manasseh of making some of his sons walk through the fire... He sacrificed to idol, idol gods. Those choices got passed on to other sons who were fortunate or unfortunate enough not to walk through the fire. In addition, the culture of Israel saw the king doing these things and thought, hmm, well, it's okay for him, it's okay for me. So this is how things get passed down to the third and fourth generation in accordance with the law of worship. from the lesson it's a sobering thought to many of us who hold positions of leadership in any capacity that our leadership has the potential to bring people down or up spiritually and in all cases here the effect was devastatingly negative okay i can tell you personally it is very sobering i stress about it every time i teach this class i do not want to be the cause I do not want to be the source of someone's going off the rails and, and heading down a path that is unhealthy or destructive. Also, from the lesson, more specifically, our character and dedication to Christ makes a difference to those with whom we interact. Spiritual leaders influence others, either toward God if they s- themselves see God, or toward evil if they do not. I would submit that everyone, everyone, whether you're a leader or not, influences others for or against God. Because we are not acting in a bubble. We do not live on an island. We all have a sphere of influence. And our influence is either being constructive or destructive. Thoughts? Back to the lesson. In contrast to what we've seen today, the fact that Ezra and Nehemiah had a strong relationship with God is undeniable. The amount of fasting and praying that is recorded in these books about Ezra and Nehemiah exceeds what the Bible reports for other great leaders. Are fasting and praying evidence of great leadership? Are they evidence of any transformation of character? Are they evidence of being on God's side? No. They are not. No more than performing miracles are evidence of great leadership or transformation of character or being on God's side. Thoughts? It's interesting
4: that Daniel's prayer life was the only thing they could they could get him on. <laughs> you know.
0: Mm.
4: And that, that's impressive. Is it ever? I think if if someone were to follow me or follow someone else you know in the community or whatever, it might be a little
0: easier. To come up with dirt. Tuesday's lesson. Entitled Courage and Empowerment. I personally detest these two words. They have become buzzwords for culturally Marxist policies and policy makers. They're antithetical to design law. Men who want to use women's restrooms are described as courageous. Think I'm joking?
1: No, I heard of it
0: exactly.
1: But that doesn't make the word courage bad.
0: Women who want to film themselves having sex in pornography are described as empowered. Okay. Now, I understand why the lesson chose to use them, so I'll go with it. But I think these, these words have. These words have come to have uh, a different meaning. A culturally destructive meaning. Right. They've come to mean 100%, 180, deg- 180 degrees opposite of what they should mean.
1: Right. and But Bible times, did David not have courage to go up against Goliath? Did Daniel not have courage in the lion's den? I mean, the courage in biblical ways was good.
0: Again, I... I, I Remember what we talked about before class started? <laughs> about my, my personal biases? This is one of those biases. I, I, personally, I hate these words. But I understand why the lesson chose to use them. So we'll, we'll use them. The lesson details a process, a process whereby Nehemiah supervised the rebuilding of the last sections of the wall and is leading by example, along with the builders arming themselves, both figuratively and literally... In fact, half the build, half of the people were given to standing guard with swords, spears, and bows. And half the people were building. And given that the rebuilding of the wall is both literal and metaphorical, are there any lessons to be gleaned from the arming? This is from Prophets and Kings 677. Uh, the, the, the prophet here... Referencing Isaiah 61, 61 4, describes a people who, in a time of general departure from truth and righteousness, are seeking to restore the principles that are foundations of the kingdom of God. They are repairers of a breach that has been made in God's law, the wall that He has placed around His chosen ones for their protection, in obedience to whose precepts of justice, truth, and purity is to be their perpetual safeguard. So, this is the metaphorical understanding of the repairers of the wall. The, the breach that's made in the in the wall, also described as God's law, the hedge of protection. So my my question is: Should Christians carry weapons? Should we arm ourselves? Literally.
4: i had to look at fighting in certain areas of the country. If I were living in Africa and I had I was walking in among wild animals, I'd carry protection. Okay.
1: I don't think they necessarily
0: should, but I don't think there's anything wrong with they do. That's a nice political answer. You should run for office, Tina. <laughs> I mean, well not, done. I don't
1: do it, I don't have, but it wouldn't bother me if somebody does. We agree with
2: that.
0: Have you ever noticed that, that those who those who choose not to arm themselves are usually more vocal about coercing those who do choose to arm themselves to change their minds? Those who are NRA members and who choose to arm themselves don't usually try to force other people to carry weapons. It's interesting observation.
2: I oh, don't know if it's true. I don't carry a gun, and I don't promote other people not to.
0: I said generally. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking specifics.
2: I'm certainly so glad that
1: our police does not oh. stuff carry guns.
0: Wednesday's lesson. I, I'm not going to delve into the weapon thing. However... I think it's it's got some practical applications because Nehemiah was force was facing a very real, what he considered a very real threat, and it may have just been to, for the the well being of those the, the mental emotional well being of those functioning on the wall that the wall no work would have gotten done unless people were standing around looking out for an existential threat. So uh, that could have just been a, a, a practical uh, matter that he needed to address in order to get work accomplished.
4: It's interesting that Nehemiah did carry weapons. He was also supported by the army. He also had military attache, whatever, on as his enforcers or whatever. Yep. And it was necessary at that time. And yet Ezra, also a man of God, he decided not to have a he chose military export. That's right. And, you know, both of these were men of God. Men of faith. Both of these were carrying out what they understood God to be. Yep. It's, and God honored both of them. That's right. With tasks to do. And they accomplished their task.
0: Yes. Uh, well, well said. Weapons are also not just for defensive purposes, but for instilling fear of potential use against an enemy for deterrence yes so they, they can be simply a show of force uh, in other words to to get someone to to rethink a nefarious purpose and maybe we should look for a softer target maybe we should go to a gun-free zone to do our mischief or something like that
1: I'm digging into some of the metaphorical equivalents to that if if we look at the metaphorical equivalent of rebuilding the wall and repairing the breach the misunderstanding or distortion of God's law then what are some of the weapons
0: yeah the metaphoric weapons yeah that you would use
1: for reestablishing natural design law as the the construct of God's law of love
0: right and scripture says the weapons we use are not the weapons of the world we, we... Set up everything that, uh, or we, we fight against everything that sets us up against the knowledge of God. Real quick, um, Wednesday's lesson entitled Purpose and Passion. These are, these are two other words that I think have uh, the, sometimes the meaning has become destructive. Doesn't it matter what our purpose is? Doesn't it matter what our passion is? Do Islamist suicide bombers have purpose and passion? Did the Jews who killed God himself have purpose and passion? did the crusaders who burned the jews and the muslims at the stake have purpose and passion okay i understand where the lessons wanting to go with this and i again don't want to be a distraction but we need we need to rise above certain buzzwords and discern some deep discern deeper than pretty speech those who opposed nehemiah were driven by purpose and passion
2: i wrote down here that ezra purposed in his heart so i think in that application, it's a good thing we could purpose in our heart that we're going to live uh, and follow the design laws that we, the best we understand from Yahweh,
0: God. Yeah, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from purpose or passion. My, my, my position is that purpose and passion are not necessarily evidences of a, a, a converted heart. Just like courage and empowerment aren't evidences of a converted heart. Just like fire from heaven is not evidence of a converted heart or the will of God.
2: But if we only follow one application of God's design law, and we purpose it in our hearts, we ain't come all the way. But if we purpose it in our heart to follow His ways, He's going to make it happen. We have passion, passion and sharing with others, even if we don't fully understand it.
0: I can't disagree with that. Let's, uh, let's close with prayer. Gracious Father, thank you again for the opportunity to, to learn and personally for the opportunity to teach. Um, please continue to... We understand that institutions will not be changed until hearts and minds are changed. Please continue to mold and shape our hearts and minds and characters, so that like Christ. 'Cause that's the only way we'll hasten his coming. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.